0: Hi, this is Kim Dixon, and welcome back to Weber County's Greatest Generation, podcast number five. There are many, many families who have more than one son serving in the war. My grandma Skeen had three sons serving at the same time. The remarkable Hislop family from the Valley had eight sons serving at one time or another during the war. The family we're going to talk about today is the William Becker family who lived at 1909 Wall Avenue. They had five sons who served honorably during World War II. John and Richard served in the Army. Bill, Claude, and Leon served in the Navy. So our story today is about Coxswain Claude Becker. He and his brother Bill joined the Army in October of 1940, and he served on the USS Marblehead, and his actions would produce one of the first of Weber County's heroes. On March 11, 1942, the United States intercepted a Japanese broadcast that reported from Tokyo. Imperial Headquarters declared today that a Japanese cruiser squadron, operated in the Indian Ocean west of Australia, had sunk the United States cruiser Marblehead. The sinking was said to have occurred on March 2nd. The Japanese Imperial Headquarters had gotten one thing right. The Marblehead had been attacked but the date was February 4th, not March 2nd, and the Marblehead did not sink. So this account was taken from the Marblehead magazine. Whenever daring deeds of the sea are recalled, the saga of the USS Marblehead commands respect. Mauled by Japanese bombs just after the U.S. entry into World War II, the ship was saved by her crew, and after a 9,000-mile voyage to safety and a complete refit, returned to the fight. She, along with the heavy cruiser Houston, two Dutch cruisers and seven destroyers, sailed for the Macascar Straits on February 3, 1942. Shortly after 9 a.m. on February 4, word arrived that Japanese planes had been sighted at 949. The bridge counted 36 twin-engine bombers. The alarm sounded through the ship, and half-dressed men dashed to their battle stations. The intercom barked set condition Z. As the battle began, the four Allied ships scattered and the Japanese planes divided into four squadrons, one for each cruiser. The captain ordered the crew to dump 4,000 gallons of aviation fuel to make the Marblehead lighter and more manageable, and through clever maneuvering veered the ship safe from the first attack. As the first squadron passed, the Marblehead held under hard left rudder, making flank speed. Within a minute, nine more planes bore down, straddled by flak. When they released their bombs, the captain ordered flank speed and 15 degrees of right rudder. The bombs shrieked down. Bombs coming, seek cover. Lie flat, came over the intercom. As the Japanese planes passed, one began to trail smoke. Damaged, the plane veered around and aimed for the ship, intent on a kamikaze crash. The gunners concentrated their fire on the wounded giant as it grew closer within machine-gun range, then abruptly it dropped straight into the sea, blasted by American fire. But the deliverance was only momentary. The bombers began a fresh run, releasing their deadly freight at 10.26, and this time they would not miss. The next instant, the Marblehead leaped clean out of the sea from impact of three hit armor-piercing bombs, hit forward, amidship, and aft. By the time the crew struggled to their feet, the ship was ablaze. In two minutes, it was listing eight degrees to starboard, and within 15 minutes, it was 11 degrees. As the ship's officers fanned out to assess damage, they were hampered by the lack of light, communication, the choking smoke, the scalding steam, and wreckage that blocked the passages. In the CPO's mess room, two decks above the rudder, Three men worked desperately to save the ship from annihilation. Flames threatened 18 cans of gunpowder that had been left on mess tables to help the turret guns fire promptly. Now the mess room was a nightmare of blazing oil and twisted steel. If that powder ignited, it would blow the stern off the ship and possibly send her to the bottom of the Pacific. Turret Captain Paul Martinick rushed into the breach with ship fitter Paul Link and Seaman Claude Becker. A gorilla of a man, Becker wrenched open the jammed hatch by his brute force. Stepping into the mess room, the men found the cans of gunpowder, but they were lodged immovable in the debris. Without hesitation, Martinick opened the cloth bags of powder, which the men carried topside through the inferno to throw overboard. It took the three men three trips to dispose of all the powder. The article continues, Here was heroism indeed. In a pinch, these men had ignored their own safety and saved their ship. The damage below the deck was heavy. The bombs had destroyed the war room, which was being used as an emergency medical station and sick bay. The emergency steering room had also sustained damage, which left the ship's rudders jammed in the hard left position. With her engines racing, Marblehead could only circle to port as gunners peered skyward on the lookout for more attacks. The main deck was ripped open at the stern, power, water, and communication lines were cut, most berthing areas were smashed, and the aft turret was inoperable. Damage control parties scrambled to extinguish fires, shore up damaged compartments, and take stock of the ship. Twelve crewmen were dead, and more than seventy were wounded, some mortally. By noon, less than two hours after the bomb strikes, the fires were out. The rudder had been nearly centered at 9 degrees left, although it was still immobile. But the engines were working, and if she could hold together and stay afloat, she might make better than 20 knots. She could be steered on a general course by adjusting the speed of engines, although she was continually swinging 40 to 50 degrees off course. Although the list had been corrected, the Marblehead was down ten feet, and she was in fact sinking. Already the bow was barely above sea level. With no reserve buoyancy, all that was keeping her afloat were the overworked and creaking pumps, helped along by the desperate bailing of her crew. Any further battle damage would almost certainly sink the ship, and she was unlikely to survive in the moderately heavy seas. Then there were the wounded Most needed medical care that the facilities aboard the damaged ship did not have. The nearest port with a hospital and rudimentary repair facilities was more than 400 miles away. Getting there would require taking the unsteerable and seeking ship through the narrow Lombok Strait with its rushing four-knot current and uncharted shoals. The Marblehead will be escorted by two destroyers, but she will remain within range of Japanese bombers the entire way and will be crossing waters that likely are hiding enemy submarines. Her first moments in the strait were hardly promising. As soon as she entered the rushing current, she was pushed 50 degrees off course. Rather than trying to recover, Marblehead's commanding officer, Captain Arthur Robinson, let the ship complete a full circle before trying again. She made it into the strait on the second try and somehow stayed off the rocks, even as rain squalls reduced the visibility to zero. Meanwhile, the crew keeps bailing water. She cleared the strait just after midnight and headed for Chillichop. During the long night, the crew struggled to keep their ravaged ship afloat. They gained a slight edge after manhandling a 3.5 ton pump from the engine room to the main deck where it could match the water rushing in through the breached hull. That afternoon, another flight of Japanese bombers sighted her and her escorts, but the enemy planes focused their attack on the destroyer the USS Paul Jones possibly mistaking it for the cruiser. The Paul Jones escaped undamaged. Finally at dawn on February 6th, nearly two days after the battle, the Marblehead reached Chilichap. But her problems were far from over. Although there was a Dutch hospital on the island that could care for the most seriously wounded and a cemetery for the dead, the only dry dock in the small port was a floating dock that was too short to accommodate the 550 foot cruiser. Unless they could get the ship's damaged bow out of the water, repair teams would have no hope of patching the hole in her bottom. But they had to try. On February 13, 1942, after six days in chillichap under constant threat of Japanese air attack, the Marblehead got underway for Ceylon, nearly 4,000 miles away. More than 30 badly wounded sailors were left behind to recover at a Dutch hospital. 14 dead crewmen were laid to rest at the European Cemetery. The Marblehead will dock at several more ports, completing emergency repairs as they struggle for home. On May 4, 1942, she reached the Brooklyn Navy Yard in New York Harbor, where permanent repairs could be completed. Her journey from the Java Sea to New York took 89 days and covered more than 20,000 miles, much of it with inoperable steering, uncontrolled leaks, limited electrical power, and almost no habitable berthing areas. Her arrival at New York was heralded by the Navy and the press. Going back to the story in the Marblehead magazine, it says it was an emotional moment for the men when they steamed under Miss Liberty's upthrust torch. Three months to the day since the desperate morning February 4th, the crew's exploits were well known because President Roosevelt had singled them out as the subject of one of his fireside chats. On July 12th, 1942, the Standard Examiner printed an AP story from New York. A Navy coxswain who risked his life to save men aboard his ship while under Japanese dive bomber fire received the Navy Cross at the Brooklyn Navy Yard today. The medal, one of the highest military honors the country can bestow was given to Coxswain Claude Becker, 24, of Ogden, Utah, for bravery on the U.S. cruiser Marblehead last February 4th. Rear Admiral E.J. Marquardt, Commandant of the 3rd Naval District, presented the award at a special noon ceremony at the Yard, where Becker is now on detail. But we didn't quite know the whole story until the day of his award. After the presentation, Seaman Becker told reporters, how he climbed into a smoke-filled compartment with three others and helped carry about 20 men to safety when an explosion started a fire in the magazine below his gun turret. And Marquardt said he also assisted in the removal of gunpowder in the wake of fire by the strength and tenacity of purpose opened a hot and heavy hatch which permitted men to escape. Ogden celebrated their first national hero And in fact, in 1944, there was an article that said a radio program featuring Claude Becker of 1909 Wall will be given June 14th at 930. Becker was awarded the Navy Cross two years ago for heroism on the USS Marblehead. The story will be dramatized. The Southern Pacific Radio will sponsor the program. His father is William Becker of Ogden. So Claude Becker died on September 24th of 1999 and is buried in the Evergreen Cemetery. There's a picture of his headstone, and on it they have that he received the Purple Heart. So I don't think his family is aware that he received the Navy Cross, so I think we might have to do something about that. Also, the USS Houston was sunk on that day, and we have another Ogden boy whose story we will tell in another podcast